Hello, and welcome to One Stop Co-op Shop, your one stop for board game news and reviews. This week, game designers Peter Gussis and Michael Kelly will review a cooperative game and have a related design discussion. Hey, I'm Peter, and I'm here with Mike. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Woo, you did that fast. I like that. That was like energy personified. That's that's all I got. Just no no actual personality, just all energy. Hey, that's my gig. (laughs) I'm stealing it from you. (laughs) Mike's bringing the heat tonight. All right, man. So we are going to talk about a game that we have talked about in the past. We don't often do this, but we're going back to revisit a series. But we're actually going to talk about one very special part of that series, and that's the Unlock series. And today we're specifically talking about Star Wars Unlock. Yeah, this is uh, not the most recent one. They had another release since, which I think you already have, Peter, but we have not played, right? Uh, Yeah, I haven't played anyone from the new series yet. But yeah, so Unlock, if you didn't know, is a kind of escape room, at least that's how it started, a game that also has app integration. You need to use their app to play the game. And they originally came out with a single kind of cases, at least in the US. I think in Europe, weren't they always like three put together? Yes. But uh, more recently now, uh, you can only buy these box sets that have three different like games, three different uh, escape rooms or whatever you want to call them in them. And in this case, they did three that were all Star Wars themes. So we're going to be talking about that. And also just uh, the idea of a series of games and how that can be successful or not successful. And, you know, ones we think do it well and don't do it well and kind of like having episodic releases of game content. Yeah, so it's going to be a fun episode. But first, we'd like to thank some of our amazing Patreon supporters. You keep the show running. Uh, This week, we want to thank three of you. Patrick Fawcett, a co-op lover. Sean Gibbons, a co-op MVP. And Howard Lee, very active on our Discord. Thanks, Howard. Another co-op MVP. And for one of the Patreon tiers, one of the rewards is that our patrons can send us a message they'd like read on the air. And we actually, (laughs) we don't usually have very many of these, but we have two for this month. First, from John Dasa, he said, Because words mean things, guys. I love the show and channel, and I finally jumped in to support. Take care, and I'm looking forward to the next stop. Thank you, John. We really appreciate you. And from another recent patron, Drew Gergic, or Gergic, sorry if I said that wrong, I want to say thanks for all the great recommendations and coverage of solo games in particular. Solo games have been something that has made this pandemic somewhat tolerable. Seeing you all cover these games and describe them helps determine what might be interesting and what to buy. And I'm right there with you, Drew. Uh, this has been a heavy solo time, more than usual, while we've all been kind of separated from each other. So, uh, John and Drew, thank you so much for the kind words. And Patrick, Sean, and Howard, thank you for your support. And thanks to everybody who listens to the podcast, who subscribes to the YouTube channel, uh, who supports us on Patreon, who joins us in the conversation on Discord, who reviews us on iTunes. I mean, so many ways you can show that you care, that you like our content, and we really appreciate all of you. Hey, Mike, you're never going to believe this. What? I got another Patreon message. Is it from Colin? It is from Colin. How did you guess, man? <laughs> Look, you're just, you're just on it. He says, hey, guys, keep up the great work on the streamed YouTube channel. Loving the content over there. Well, you know, it's funny, Peter. I caught you in a lie, sir. In a lie, what? I say. Because <laughs> because I actually, this is true. Uh, Colin, who started the YouTube channel, uh, for some reason, uh, decided to support us on Patreon, even though like he is also a beneficiary of the Patreon uh, stuff. And like we use it to pay for the things we do. So I finally told Colin to please stop being a patron. And Colin has not been a patron of ours for several months because he's part of the team. 
well, I got to send him a nasty message back then that he should stop sending in messages wow. that are disruptive to our show. <laughs> just stick it with the lie. Just keep digging it, man. Keep digging that, uh, digging that <laughs> hole for yourself. <laughs> I hope Colin never listens to the podcast anymore because he's going to catch me <laughs> giving shout outs for him every week, which he's never once said. I think you did it on one of the year-end episodes where he was on it, though, didn't you? So I, I think he's aware. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know. And he listens to the podcast as well. So I, I, I know he does. I, I just like to uh, have some fun with it. Sure. All right. But uh, let's jump into our review. Again, this is, uh, at least for me, I don't know how you did it, Peter, but I, I kind of like talked about how this uh, release is a little different than Unlock and did like just talk about the series since we'd already reviewed that once. I was going to say the same thing. Yeah. If you want to hear our thoughts on Unlock Unlock, go back and listen to episode like two. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to say it was forever ago. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it was like episode two or three. So we're talking, yeah, what, three, four years ago? Yeah. So these are my updated feelings on Lock. This one specifically, but I do bring in some of the evolutions of Unlock. Because, I mean, it's funny. At that point, we were talking about how the app didn't work and things like that. And I, the, one of the few update episodes we had was like, okay, the app's working now. Like, halfway through the first week, we had, we had reviewed it so early on that, like, the app was, like, having glitches at that point. That's, that's happened to a few times with uh, games that had apps. Like, when we uh, reviewed the Cosmos Adventure games, we had talked about, like, how the app was working but didn't have voice and then like somebody texted us once the episode went up they're like hey they they put the voice in you can hear them read all the passages now and we're like all right (laughs) it wasn't there when we reviewed it yeah well that's part of the problem sometimes when you're looking at stuff like right when it comes out or early on i mean i know everybody wants like quick impressions of stuff but when you get that you're not getting the best work because you know all the bugs haven't been worked out especially when you're talking technology being included in it and even things like aftermath I was talking about how there's no FAQ. So like there weren't answers to any of my questions, you know, and then of course, like two weeks later is an FAQ and makes it much clearer. Right. So, you know, sometimes we're talking about stuff and uh, it does end up resolving itself, which is good. That's just because we're on the cutting edge, everybody cutting edge co-op and solo news right here. (laughs) Well, I mean, that's the whole industry though, right? Like every review, like you got to get out fast. You got to get out quick. So people know whether to buy the new hotness or not before it sells out. So, I mean, those are the, uh, you know, some of the unintended consequences of getting only news on the newest stuff. Well, you know, and speaking of uh, the new hotness and news, I kind of try to jump into the review, but Peter, you've been playing anything recently you wanted to share about? Well, I don't know if this is new hotness, but this is a game that was on Kickstarter, and it's a game I know both you and I like, and we're probably, you, me, and Steve, I think, are the only three champions of this game in the entire world, but that's okay. We're going to keep shouting it from the rooftops, because I do think it's a good, fun game, and that's uh, Union City Alliance. Yes, uh, this one was on Kickstarter. They had some, like, shipping weirdness, and then when they tried to fix it, it kind of, like, cluttered up the pledge levels. So they canceled the campaign as of today, and I think they're launching it as soon as possible, like maybe Thursday or Friday of this week. So by the time you hear this episode, it's probably going to be back on Kickstarter. And actually, uh, I, before I knew they were going to cancel it, recorded a whole playthrough on TTS with a solo variant I threw together. And I really mean threw together, but it works fine because the game is solid. And uh, that should, I think, also be up whenever the Kickstarter is up or soon after. So you should be able to see a video of me playing it. And there's already a video of uh, Peter and Steve playing it on the live stream channel and Steve playing it with the designer on the live stream channel. So, you know, we're definitely uh, covering this one a lot. 
Yeah, you and I haven't played it together, but I'm looking forward to playing it. We probably won't stream it just because we've had so much coverage of this game, but it is a lot of fun. I've really enjoyed it. And the best part is there's a freely available TTS mod for people to play. So anybody can go ahead and play it and try it with full permission from the designer and publisher. Like they want people to go try it. And I don't blame them because I was skeptical before I played it. And after playing it, I was like, wow, this is really good. There are things like people are talking about, oh man, there are so many keywords in this and that. That stuff melts away when you play the game. And you know me, I'm not Mr. Keyword here. Like I'm horrible at remembering that stuff. Even Marvel Champions, which I play all the time. Like I have to look up keywords sometimes, but the keywords in that game were pretty... Not that they were obvious, but it's like, okay, well, it's obvious what it does because the situation under it, like what, what the card does, makes the keyword obvious. No, I totally agree. And, and just for those who don't know what it is, you can go check out the Kickstarter page, Union City Alliance. But it's a deck builder, a superhero deck builder, but with some really cool things. I, I like, I don't know about you, Peter, but I really like the fact that like the uh, cards you can deck build into come out as you build the board and as you explore the city and like find like crises to avert and stuff. And then I also liked can deck build from like kind of this general pool, but then you also have cards that are specific to your character. So you have, this is one of my favorite thing in like deck builders and kind of characterization and leveling up in general, where you have a mix of like kind of a uh, open pool and also character specific stuff. I think that's always really fun because you can get like really diverse builds while still feeling like there's a kind of clear differentiation from my character to yours. And in a lot of games, I feel like you have to make that choice with the same resource. Like you've got five money. Do you want to buy this character specific card or do you want to buy this general card? And it's almost always better to buy your character specific card. But in this, it's, it's done differently. You're actually using almost an experience. It's not called that, but you're using this like pool of experience, which is separate from your pool of money that you're using or valor, I think is what it's called to buy those personalized cards. So you can't necessarily get them in the same way and the other cool thing i think they do with those personalized cards which i'm not mentioning the name of them because i hate it they're called solo cards i don't know why they're called solo even if you're playing with three players they're called solo cards so those cards they actually increase in cost as you buy them so you buy the first one it's you know the cost printed on the card the next one you buy costs two more the next one on top of that is two more on top of that so it'd be four more than that first card you bought and so the more you specialize in those character cards the more and more expensive it is. So I think they've done some really smart, really clever things. The board play is fun. The co-op is there. Your superheroes feel very different from each other. Like it does a lot of good things and we're not reviewing that game today, but I do want that game to get its due because I I think people aren't paying attention to it for whatever reason. Yep. All right. So I wish that game luck. Go check it out. But uh, with that being said, let's get to Star Wars Unlock. Yes, yes, yes. So if you don't know, if you're just joining us for the first time, what we do is we talk about our top five things we think you need to know about the game, starting with number five and going to number one. Number five is the least important thing for us, and number one is the most important. But before we get into that, let's talk a little bit about the theme. It's Star Wars. Yeah. They're, they're, they're pew pew, <laughs> lasers, spaceships, <laughs> Jedi. Yes. Actually, not really. There's basically no Jedi in this one. I don't think so. All. No. Yeah. Yeah. When was it set? I'm trying to even remember that. Well, it, it depends. Uh, the, the first, yeah, so there's three episodes. One of them, uh, we'll talk about this probably a little bit more, but one of them is highly tied to the uh, attack on Hoth in the yep. beginning of Empire Strikes Back. The second one is more nebulous. I don't remember anything like specific. It's just like a smuggler getting stopped by the Empire. So at some point when the Empire was in power. 
I felt like that one was like that gave me uh, signs of that movie, the prequel. Um, not Rebellion, Rogue One. No, 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 no. What well, R- Rogue One was the third one where you were, uh, and that that was a direct riff off of the third one because you're on the planet Jeddah, which is the starting planet of uh, Jin Erso and uh, the like main character in Rogue One, and Saw Gerrera kind of makes a little bit of an appearance. So yeah, so uh, the first and third episodes are like directly off of different movies. The second one is clearly evoking like some Han Solo kind of smuggler escape the Death Star kind of yeah. stuff like the original Star Wars, but it's not as directly tied to any one movie that I saw. Right. But by the way, I'm a little bit of a Star Wars nerd, if y'all can't tell from how I'm talking about this. <laughs> well, and you've also played it more recently than me. It's been a little while since I played it, so well, yeah, sorry if I've my memory's a little... <laughs> took away yes. your access to it. <laughs> so my memory's a little bit hazy on which mission is which, although now that you've mentioned it, yes, all that rings true. So unlock is really easy. Basically, you have a deck of cards, you shuffle them all together, you flip over the first card, and it kind of gives you numbers, you pull those numbers out. And it's really based on this combining of numbers thing, where you have a red number and a blue number, and you add them together, and they give you another number to pull out of your deck. But there's a lot of other neat puzzles in there. It uses the app, there are machines in the app that will have different ways of working. I know in certain games, they've had like movies and you've got to figure out the pattern from the movie or there'll be sounds that'll be involved. Sometimes there's talking involved. And so where you're talking into your phone, there's a lot of cool stuff that it does with the app as well through a lot of missions. So we'll talk about whether that's here in the Star Wars one or not, but certainly those are things that have been implemented since we last talked about Unlock. Anything else you could think of for like they need to know before we get into this review? Nah, let's get into it. I'm sure we'll talk about stuff as we go. All right, Mike. So I talked last. Why don't you go with number five? All right, so my number five, uh, I just talked about how I was a nerd, and this is uh, even nerdier. (laughs) But I had to mention it because it massively affected at least my personal enjoyment. This is a con for me. And that was very specifically the app access and the music within the app. So let me explain what I mean. There is a proprietary unlock app you have to download to play all the games. And every single release they've ever had, including like demos and things you can download, has all used this one app. So I went in there looking for Star Wars. No no Star Wars. Did, did, Did you find the Star Wars on the main unlock app, Peter? No, because it's not on the main unlock app. Correct. You have to it's download not a, a separate one. <laughs> it is on a second unlock app just for Star Wars, which, you know, I'm sure that was part of the LucasArts like licensing or whatever. I don't know. But anyway, so separate app. Okay. But the thing is, I went in, I was like, ooh, separate app. I bet this means they're going to have all this great Star Wars music. It's going to be amazing. I load up the app. And <laughs> for a little background, I'm a big classical music fan. This is something I don't think I've ever talked about on the podcast or any of our stuff before because some things just don't come up. But I'm a pretty big classical music fan. One of my favorite pieces of all time is uh, Hulse the Planet, uh, which is a piece from the early 20th century that's centered around, I think, seven uh, movements for seven different planets in the solar system. And also like kind of like the Greek, like Roman gods that are associated with those planets. And uh, Unlock always had Hulse the Planet. Like when you would uh, finish a mission, it would play... I think it's Mars bringer of war. Anyway. So, uh, so they would always play like the planets for some reason they had like the planets as like the unlock theme songs, which is cool. So then I load up star Wars, I'm ready for star Wars music and they play the planets throughout everything. And here's the weird thing for those who don't know, (laughs) Peter, I don't know if you know this. I don't. 
But one of the major influences on John Williams in writing these Star Wars scores was the planets. Like you can hear straight up moments from like the Imperial March and other uh, movements of like the main Star Wars themes and stuff in the planets and vice versa. Like, and John Williams, you know, it's clearly influenced by Holst and a lot of movies are because it's such like a cinematic uh, score. But anyway, all that is to say that it was so weird for me that not only did they not have Star Wars music when they had clearly a deal with LucasArts and clearly, or I guess Disney at this point, and clearly a deal to like have a different app. They had all of that, but they still played the planets. And it was such a weird disconnect for me because it sounds almost like Star Wars, but it's also a piece that I know deeply and love. And I was like, what the heck is going on? So I couldn't like take it. I just had to shut down the music and like uh, play on one of our other devices, like a Star Wars themes uh, a soundtrack. And yeah, so, so it's a weird uh, complaint that might only be personal to me, but I was totally thrown off. Why can't you actually get the Star Wars music in the game? Uh, it just annoyed me to no end. So this comes later on my list. No, it doesn't. You're <laughs> right, it doesn't. This is the dumbest complaint I've ever heard in my entire life of all top five lists that we've been doing. And we're close to 200 episodes now. This is the dumbest complaint I've ever heard in my entire life. Get out of here with that crap. What? Did you get on the app and you, did you want to hear Star Wars I don't care. Music? I don't even listen to the music. I usually turn the volume down or turn the music off. No, oh. get out of here. Oh, come, come on, man. <laughs> no, no, no. All right. Well, somebody, somebody on the podcast that's listening right now, send us a message. Let me know that you feel me. <laughs> oh, gosh. I Unbelievable. We're starting off with that garbage. I should have gone first. All right. So my number five is I believe that this is a great entry point into the series. For several reasons. Number one is it is on the easier end of the unlock games. So the first two, and they even tell you that the first two missions are both easy difficulty. The second mission or the third mission is on the medium difficulty. And even that one's even on the lighter side of medium, I think. So these missions were not hard and intentionally so because, and I think it was a good call because this is meant for Star Wars fans. It's not necessarily meant for unlock fans. They knew the unlock fans were going to buy it anyway. And with that being said, I mean, I'll probably get into something that they'll come up later for other people, but they didn't do as much with the app as they'd done in the past where, you know, all these crazy machines and things like that and crazy puzzles using the app. And I think that's okay because I think as an entry point, you did have to veer away from that a little bit. So for me, I think it was at the right level for a Star Wars game. Now, if they come out with a second one, and I'm hoping they will, because I'm sure this was successful. I'm hoping they ramp it up a little bit and ease other people in the way that they eased us in when Unlock first came out. Yeah, I'll kind of touch on that a little bit later. And I actually mean that. <laughs> My number four is a mix. And this is uh, kind of how the Star Wars theme is worked in. And the reason it's a mix is because none of the three episodes like quite hit the uh, the tone for me right. How I mean by that is the first one is like literally Empire Strikes Back. They steal basically every important, well, at least the Hoth uh, scenes from Empire Strikes Back. They steal like every important moment and you basically just like take the place of Luke for all of these. It's like... Who gets, atop, uh, who gets attacked by a wampa? You do. Who uh, gets in a, you know, snow speeder and takes down some uh, at You do. Uh, you know, who has to run back and get it, like, with the X-Wing. So, I, I don't know. Like, uh, on the one hand, I liked that it was calling back things that I appreciated, but I thought it was, like, too on the nose. Kind of like the complaint people have about uh, Force Awakens, like, being too similar to A New Hope. So, this, like, just felt, like, a little too on the nose. And then for the other two, I felt like... It was so out there with all these aliens I'd never seen before and like these races that I wasn't really familiar with 
that it kind of went the other way and I sort of started losing the Star Wars-ness of it. So I don't feel like any of them really quite struck that happy balance. Like The Mandalorian, I would say, did in a fabulous way where I feel like I'm in the Star Wars universe, but it's also treading some new ground. It felt like they were either like too close to the original or too divorced from the theme for me to like fully feel as a big Star Wars fan that I was like in it. But at the same time, they did have like some fun little callbacks. There were things that like used your Star Wars knowledge, if you know about Star Wars stuff, in a fun way. So it wasn't all bad. In fact, a lot of it was very good. It's just like uh, I-, I was hoping for perfection and it wasn't there, which is probably way too much to hope for from an unlock release. Well, and, and an intro level Star Wars release as well. Sure, sure, sure. No, absolutely. If, if they do more, I'd love to see how they kind of uh, stick that landing. But here it was a little bit mixed at best. All right. Why well, I, I am actually going to get to that one later, too. So I guess <laughs> as with any of these later games, sometimes we're going to have some overlap, except in the music department. <laughs> so my number four is something that they did, I believe, for the first time in this, which is the step by step solutions book. Yeah, that was really interesting. What do you think about that? I absolutely love it because there are times in the game where two things can happen. Number one, you could just get stuck to the point where it gets frustrating and it's not unlock. It's any of these escape room games. I played all of them. The only one that has hurdled this for me is Deckscape. And that's because it's either pass or fail. Like you literally, if you guess wrong, you're just done with that card and you move on. But with the unlocks and the exit games, I sometimes get frustrated where I'll get to a point where I'm like, I don't know the solution. The clues aren't helping me and I don't know what to do next. And so what do you do in that situation except for sit there and stare at it for a while? And eventually it may come to you, but I don't know. I I don't play these games to get frustrated. I play them to keep a good pace, keep it moving. And especially because a lot of times now it used to be I'd play with you guys, but now I'm playing with the kids and it's just. I don't know. It gets to the point where it's frustrating and I want to move on. And so this step-by-step solution guide prevents that. The other thing is I'll notice sometimes you can make leaps of faith to get to something and kind of skip a little bit of the puzzle sometimes. And and we've certainly done that or kind of guess at an answer. It's like, I think it's this and it ends up being right, but you're not exactly sure why you got there. In that step-by-step guide, it kind of walks you through exactly what hints you were supposed to see that would have gotten you that solution or some, you know, where sometimes I'll be like, Oh, wait a minute. We don't have card M yet. How did we get the solution? Well, we did anyway. All right. Discard card M as well. And so I like the fact that it'll walk you through, Oh, this is how you were kind of supposed to do it. And I like that it just gets you into that mindset because I used to do that anyway. It's like, Oh, um, let me flip over all the cards. Well, how, what did I miss? How was I supposed to get there? So I like that they talk you through it. No, me too. Uh, I didn't make my list because we didn't end up using it at all. Like, I actually didn't realize it was in the box until we had finished all three. <laughs> I was like, oh, what's this other rule book? I was like, why are there two rule books? Because, of course, I didn't look at the first rule book because I already know how to play right. Unlock. And then I saw it. I was like, oh, this is really cool. So I agree with everything you said. It just uh, didn't get used by our group. So I didn't get the chance to kind of experience it. We used it once. And again, it was one of those solutions that we had jumped to. Or it was... I don't want to give up too much, but you use something at one point forwards and then you have to use it in a different way later. And I didn't understand why or how I was supposed to figure that out. And it talked to you through how you were supposed to figure that out. So I like that. Nice. Yeah. So my number three is a pro and also something I think new to the series. And those are, I think they're called the advantage cards. So to explain for each of the uh, three kind of missions in here, They've got six advantage cards, and you pick three of them at the beginning of the game. 
And what these are, in essence, like, they have fun, like, Star wars theme names. They're like, oh, you're a droid expert on this one. So you almost, like, kind of have a character that you're uh, inhabiting in a very, very minor way. But what they do is they just give you a hint to one of the harder upcoming puzzles. That's all it does. It's like, hey, here's uh, something you might know about this because of your technology or because of your knowledge or because of your skill as a pilot. I thought this was really cool because, first of all, to kind of talk about the series in general... I've always really liked the way that Unlock and the series does uh, their hint system because you can get a series of increasingly clear hints on any card in the game to kind of help you figure out where you are. So I like it better than Dexcape that Peter mentioned because, as he said, that's kind of like pass-fail. Once you uh, think you know the solution, you flip the card over and they shove the real solution in your face. So it's too late for a hint at that point. And then, like, Exit has, like, this book, but you can't necessarily, like, find everything you need from that. So Unlock, with the app integration, I always felt had, like, the most kind of user-friendly and uh, integrated hint system. But then to add on thematically connected hints before you play, and the feeling that you selected them. You know, it's not like you're getting something unfairly. Like, when you take a hint, it often feels, at least for me, like, kind of a, a, a defeat. You know, like, I had to, oh, man, I had to cheat once to, like, get this answer. But this is, like, part of the game. And they like throw, they're like, take three of these cards. Then you feel like, ooh, uh, ooh, my card applies, my card applies. Like my son had one. He was like, ooh, this helps with this solution. He was like really excited about it. So I think like the thematic connection, the uh, integration of hints in a thematic way, I thought it was really cool. And I'd, I'd be happy to see this in other Unlock releases in the future. I believe it was on the one before as well. And I'm not sure about the new one, but I, I believe this was something they started on the one before, if I'm not mistaken. Okay, I might have missed that one then because none of the ones I've played have had it before. Yeah, but no, it is really cool. I like how it's done, and I agree with that. The funny part about the hint system to me and the part I get most frustrated with is usually I'll know the first two hints, right? Like, it's a, this progressive hint system, it's like, well, I already knew that. And I know I'm going to know the first two hints because it's like, I, I feel like I always get stuck on the last part. But it's like, now I've wasted three hints. Yeah, yeah, no, I can see that. So it's like, I knew that I needed card 27 and 92 or whatever. And I knew that like, you're supposed to combine them in this way, but I can't figure out that third step. And now I've had to use three clues, right? It's like, just give me the third clue. I don't want clue one and two, you know (laughs) what I mean? So, and that's not unique to this one as well. I feel like all of the escape room games kind of have progressive clue systems. And the first two are like so obvious that most of the time you're going to know them anyway. But you need that, right? Because otherwise... They give away too much when you just wanted like a slight push in the right direction, you know? Absolutely. All right. So my number three goes beyond Star Wars a little bit, but it is, again, since this is an update to our review on Unlock, I love the way they're putting three games in one box now. I think that's always the way it should have been. They used to be $15 a game. Now you get three for, I think it's 35 is retail. So not only is it a better value, but it just fits together better and it fits on your shelf better. And like, I just like that you're getting more of that all at once. And if you still want to take, I mean, because most of the time it's just a deck of cards that you need to take with you. So you can still easily transport them individually if you want. But just I I like the feel of the three in one boxes and I like the value it provides. I wish they had done it from the beginning, but I'm glad they've switched to it. And even the older ones now, the only way you can buy them in these uh, three pack boxes. Yeah, it's an interesting point because it is a pretty big package for just three decks of cards. You could probably take every deck from all the unlock sets and put them in a single box of an unlock set (laughs) at this point. Probably true. (laughs) Yes. I mean, not that it'd be easy to like actually pick them out and play with, but well, you could baggy them up individually. You've actually given me a, a very oh, yeah. good idea. I probably should do that because I do have every unlock release that's been out and, and all the deckscapes as well. 
but yeah, no, I, I really like that too. It didn't make my list, uh, but I, I, I'm not the one buying these. I don't think I've ever bought a single unlock. So thank you to, if I don't say that enough, to both you and Jerry for buying like all these like little escape room games and then letting me borrow your copies. And that is also something though I want to say about the series that I think is wonderful is that unlike Exit, uh, some of the other ones where you actually have to like kind of destroy the game or rip up some of the cards to play it. The fact that with Unlock, you can just pass it around among your group of friends, you can uh, sell it to somebody, you can trade it with somebody, and you can just kind of like pass on the fun. Maybe not great for their bottom line, but certainly great for the value I get uh, out of playing it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. All right, to the top two. So my number two is uh, the app, and I'm going to talk about kind of how it's used in the Star Wars one specifically without giving things away. But this is uh, mostly a pro, the only kind of negative I'll get to at the end, and this is uh, kind of negative for the series in general. But overall, I think the app, they've figured out like really clever things to do. Like like Peter said, in the very early releases of Unlock, they weren't doing that much. But in this one, without being too specific, you have like first person exploration. You have like tactile tasks. You have uh, like mapping. You have like audio things where you actually like say stuff or do stuff with your voice. And I think that's really fun. And certainly since this one is a more family accessible release, and I play this with uh, my kids and my wife, all three of them, like my kids were dying for that stuff. They were like, what? I get to touch the iPad and like rub this thing and like make it appear? Oh my gosh. You know, like they were, they were just totally, totally into it. But even for me, it kind of like uh, ups that toy factor, like something that the cards cannot do in and of themselves. Uh, the app provides a lot. And certainly in other releases, they've done like really, really clever things with this. The only kind of uh, negative here. Uh, First of all, this is not a negative for me, but if you hate app integration or don't want to have an app be tied to your game or require an app for your game, then Unlock might just be a no-work like solution for you because it is completely relying on the app. There is no way to play it without the app. I think it provides so many benefits, like in the hint system, in the audio when it's you know actually uh, music that fits the theme, and uh, (laughs) in uh, like the little fun things you can do. I think that's all great. I think it's worth it, but some people won't. Uh, The only thing that I'll say is. The app has become more important in the later Unlock releases. And I was thinking as I was playing it this time, I was like, huh, like we pay this much for this game and there are amazing like escape room games on the iPad and like on other devices that are just apps only, but are way, way beyond Unlock and how their uh, like apps work. Like I'm thinking of uh, the Room series for those of you who have played those. Like those are like amazing, amazing uh, escape room games with like this beautiful like graphics and stuff that Unlock can't really match. And they cost like three bucks on the app store. So it is weird. I I don't mind the app integration, but it is weird that like the more the app becomes important, the more I'm like, well, huh, (laughs) why are we paying so much and still having these cards when the app can kind of handle all of it? Now, I'm not going that far. This is still a pro for me. I still like the app in Unlock. But it was just like a little like question in the back of my head, like, oh man, why 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 is the app so important now? I don't know. <laughs> no, I get where you're coming from. I mean, my biggest negative for the app, and I think this will kind of tie into why I think they're doing what they're doing with the app, is that the app is really a very solo experience. The rest of the game with the cards on the table, look, don't get me wrong, I don't think this is a four-player game. I think it's really meant for two optimally with all the unlock games and really most of the escape room games I played, I feel that way because, you know, at some point there's just only so much stuff to touch. And when somebody's digging into the app, some of the puzzles are cool and like can handle multiple people looking at the screen at the same time. And I actually think the star Wars ones did a good job of that. But a lot of times it really is one person touching and playing with the app. And so 
I think if those were much more in depth than they currently are, I think you lose something. They didn't do it in this series, but I know in some of the series, when you pointed the app at the cards, they showed you the picture evolved on the app. Stuff like that's cool because everybody can look at the picture. It's like, oh, let me see, or oh, let me hold on to that and look and see how the picture changed, right? I I think stuff like that's cool, but I do think it would be hard to have too in-depth of puzzles on the app themselves because I think then you lose anybody at the table that's not that one person holding the app. That's a great point. That's a great point. And yeah, honestly, I think probably the best one of these types of games for like three players, maybe four, would be time stories, maybe. I think they have a pretty good system to like give everyone something that they are doing and then force you all to talk to each other. Would you have said that before we just played the new time stories on the stream channel the other day? I'm basing this on the new time (laughs) stories. We played the new time stories recently, everybody, and it's way better than the old time stories, at least for us. So I want to play more of it. But yes, I am basing that on just having played the new time stories. Yeah, and we've only played the demo mission. So we played that on the stream channel because that's the only one available on Tabletop Simulator right now. So I don't know. Maybe we'll have to have Jerry set up because I know he's got a couple at his house. Maybe we'll have to have him set them up and do it over webcam somehow in the future. But Yeah, no, I did enjoy the new Chronicles of Crime a lot better. Not Chronicles of Crime, Time Stories. I do enjoy the Chronicles of Crime series as well. Um, But, you know, we're going to have to, like, put all these head-to-head one day and do, like, a big top 10 list of these, like, escape room slash puzzle-solving games. I like it. I like it. But what's your number two, Peter? So my number two is the exact opposite of your number four, and I thought it felt a lot like Star Wars. Now, you have to realize that this is coming from someone who is a fan of Star Wars, but I'm not reading fanfic. I'm not overanalyzing every single thing that happened in every single movie. I'm enjoying it as a cool action movie or whatever they end up being. You know, there's a lot of things in them and, and I just like them for that. And so I didn't even think about the fact that there were races that were introduced in this game that weren't in the movies. To me, it felt a lot like Star Wars because you had, first of all, familiar locations. And second of all, you had alien races that you're discovering throughout the game. And I feel like the movies have always done that, you know, even with droids and stuff like that. You know, you got in the first one, there were like a bunch of different types of R2 units. But later on, you know, you have BB-8s and things like that. And so I feel like there's always something new being introduced. So it didn't bother me that they introduced something new here because I feel like that's a lot of what Star Wars is, at least to me. No, no, you know, you know what? You're right. I'll, I'll recant that uh, part of it. But I do still think the first one was maybe too close to Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> sure, but to be honest, I kind of like that because it got me into it. It's like, okay, yeah, this is Star Wars, right? And I actually think it influenced my opinions on the later games as well because it got me in so good that I, I wanted to go on to the next one. And I was happy oh, yeah, yeah. that the next one wasn't as close. So for me, it created that Star Wars feel. And so the other two kind of, I, I just kept going with that. So I don't know. But again, that's personal for me. No, no. I mean, actually, you, you've basically convinced me. So so change my number four to a pro. Because I think that was <laughs> clever of them. Because you, you're right. You're right. Like the first one I played, like my son was like, oh, it's just like a Price Strikes Back. And I was like, well, yeah. I guess that is kind of cool, <laughs> you know, and then he wanted to play the rest, even though they weren't anything like the movies he had seen. So, okay, I, I, I changed my number four entirely, but the music still sucks. <laughs> 
Oh, all right. And I, the funny part is that that's a point to you because, again, you figured out the solution. You turn off the music on the app and you turn on your own music and it literally doesn't matter at all. No, but then there's sound effects you need to hear and stuff in the app. Well, no, no, no. You keep the app sound effects on, but you can turn the music off as a separate thing. It bothers oh, Allison. Yeah, it bothers Allison. So I end up turning the music off on a lot of them because you can't turn the volume down because there are hints and stuff that happen with the app. So, yeah, no, you can turn the music off independently. Well, that, that, that would have helped. Yes. <laughs> Maybe I should rerun number five, too. <laughs> All right. I'm changing this whole list. Your whole list is trash. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently. But my number one is kind of like your number four or five, I guess. And that is the puzzle difficulty and kind of like the puzzles themselves. And this, I'm going to say, is entirely dependent for like whether it's a pro or con for somebody on what they were coming in looking for. Because I totally agree with you that it is an amazing introductory one. And in some ways, even for me, who kind of likes challenging puzzles, I still enjoyed it because it was never like a strain, but I still had the fun of like feeling clever when I figured things out. Like, I don't think there was a single puzzle in here that like stumped us for more than like five seconds. I think we might have used a single hint once in all three of them, but that was fine. Because again, like it's just kind of fun to win sometimes. And uh, my, my kids and my wife really liked it. So that's like the most important thing, I think. But all that being said, if you're coming in as like an unlock veteran who like wants to keep pushing the envelope and like really loves uh, their brain being challenged, I do think this one could let you down. But for my purposes, and it sounds like for yours too, Peter, it was totally perfect. So I really liked the puzzles in here. I thought the difficulty made it very accessible and fun. But again, it could be totally not what you're looking for for some people. Well, it's the Gloomhaven versus Gloomhaven Jaws of the Lion argument, right? Some people who went into Jaws of the Lion were looking for more Gloomhaven, and that's not what it was. It was an intro level Gloomhaven campaign, and I think that turned some people off. Whereas for you and me who weren't 100 missions into Gloomhaven, I think it was perfect. It was like, oh, yeah, I remember liking Gloomhaven, but what was it? Oh, this is introducing me in a lighter, easier way. This is the same way for the Unlock games. It's going to introduce people in a lighter, easier way. And I think even veterans of the series should get it if they have friends or if they have fondness for Star Wars themselves, because I think it is a good way to introduce new people to the series. But if you don't know anybody that likes Star Wars, you're like, what is this Star Wars stuff? Then no, I think it's one you could definitely (laughs) skip. Yes, yes. Like if you're here, you're not going to find the finest puzzles. You're not going to find the finest uses of the app. Like it is not peak unlock in any way, except that it's a fun, accessible theme and it's it's pretty good time. Yep. And my number one, again, this isn't specific to this unlock release, but it certainly shows here. And mine is that the system keeps evolving. You know, when we first started playing these games, we're like, what are they going to do? You know, Unlock is literally just a deck of cards and an app. And what are they going to do? And the app at the beginning, if you remember, wasn't really anything at all. I mean, they did have the puzzles and machines in there, but they were really just extensions of the cards themselves. But they've gotten more and more clever over the years. And I think what they're doing right now is great. And I think their puzzles are great. And even though a lot of them will have similar themes to stuff you've done in the past, I think they're doing them in new and interesting ways. So I really like how the system keeps evolving and getting better and better with time, at least in my mind it is. No, I mean, I I agree with you and I'm still happy to play them every time. Exit, I don't really need to play anymore. I've kind of fallen off that one. Dexcape, I'm still happy to play sometimes, but Unlock remains... Uh, my top of like these escape room games and one of my top kind of mystery games overall. I'm, I'm always happy to play the next set. Well, certainly of those three, it has the best theme. And I think that's why you and I liked it at the beginning. 
And I think that's why we keep coming back to it. Yeah, I mean, there are parts of Unlock that feel like I am doing a riddle section in the New York Times, <laughs> but that's like all that Exit feels like most of the time. And that's often like most of what Dexcape feels like. So Unlock tends to get away from that kind of like just random puzzle for puzzle's sake feel that those ones tend to have for me. All right. So we've never uh, reviewed Dexcape and I don't know that we ever will at this point. The thing that Dexcape does for me that the other ones don't is I think they have the best visual puzzles. Like the visual puzzles in Unlock are like find number 19 hidden in a pocket, right? Like, or something crazy like that. The visual puzzles in Dexcape for me are like, how do these three things combine to make something cool? You have to observe, and it's not just a number. It's like, which light is on in the house, and or how does that correlate to the room, which you know that is here or whatever? I don't know. I, I can't think of any specific examples now, but I've certainly felt a lot of times with the Dexcape puzzles that there's a very visual element to it, and it's not just finding hidden numbers. Yeah, no, no, I, I agree with that. Like, I know they've done a lot of puzzles where, like, you put cards together in, like, geometric ways, you know, and kind of aligning them to solve things. But anyway, uh, we're clearly getting into our discussion of a lot of series and game series that Peter and I have played a whole bunch of. So let's talk about uh, game series and, like, what makes a series good for us? What uh, makes it successful? What do we like to see? I guess, Peter, should we talk about just things that are all standalones? Or should we talk about games that like have like episodic uh, expansions released, but you still need a base game to play them? What do you think? I mean, I think it's fine either way. I think we should probably include the episodic because I think it would feel weird to have this discussion without talking about time stories, which is the number one that's had so many episodic releases. Now, the new time stories has done it a different way. So let's maybe start off with that as a discussion. Do we think there should be a base game with a bunch of components? What do we think about the new time stories, the way they're doing it, where you don't have to buy a base game because they're all base games? I mean, for me, I tend to prefer standalone when possible, except I hate when they need to have a ton of repeat content. So... Unlock, I get a little bit annoyed, but I understand why they have to do it in that every box set has the same tutorial, except the Star Wars one. <laughs> Did you notice, Peter, that they like rethemed it slightly for Star Wars? Yes, but literally every puzzles was exactly the same. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, but I, I was still like, oh, that's kind of cute. <laughs> like they made like the door in the tutorial, uh, a Star Wars door. Yes. But yeah, so I, I think standalone is great, but clearly it fits better for some games to have like some core content you need. So they don't have to like just give you an extra 50 cards every time for no purpose when you already own the first set. So I tend to like standalone. How about you? I agree with you. I think the original Time Stories did need that, though, because there were so many components that you needed from game to game. There were wooden pawns and things like that. So I'm curious to see how they do it in the new series, because, again, we've only played one mission of it so far. But... For me, it would be interesting. Like, are they having to sacrifice quality a little bit? Are they replacing wooden pawns with more tokens, which is a cheaper thing to keep adding into these things? So I agree. If you need a core set of components, I love if they do require that base box. And that way I have to keep buying it. Now, if that's the case, I hope the puzzles in that core box are really good as well and fun and actually time stories. I think the first one was the best. I still remember that to this day. Oh, yeah, no, no, that, that was uh, that was pretty great. And it also used like the time traveling kind of things that became annoying later in an actually kind of meaningful way, <laughs> which I don't think they always did in later expansions. 
Yeah. So for me, that one was a very good example of why you need a corset and how to use a corset. But I certainly don't mind if they're going to go away from it in the future, because you know what? You might not have any interest in whatever the theme of that corset is. And now you don't have to buy that. And uh, actually, speaking of something similar, and it's a little bit off, but Final Girl, doesn't that have a corset with nothing in it? And then you have to buy all the missions separately? Oh, gosh, I don't remember, but I think they might, for retail, be picking, like, one of the killer sets and putting it with the core set so you can't, like, accidentally buy a game that you can't play. But I'm not 100% on that. We're still waiting for it to deliver, so I, I forget, like, what the plan was. But, yes, you are correct that they had, like, a core set that was just the basics, and then you have to, like, add on the killers on top of that. Yeah, so that's interesting. I don't know that you could get away with that in a retail release. Certainly with with Kickstarter, you can. But that way, you don't have to pick which theme that everybody has to get. So I think that that's an interesting way of doing it. Although I don't know, again, that you can get away with that outside of Kickstarter. Well, I think that jumps into something else that is kind of cool about series, especially like really, really long ongoing ones, is that you can kind of build your audience or tap into new audiences by throwing new themes in there. So I think you see that with Zombicide, right? Like right now they've got the, uh, I think it's called Undead or Alive or whatever, which is kind of like a riff on uh, Deadlands and uh, Shadows of Brimstone, like uh, Undead Cowboys and like Zombies and Skeletons and like Holy Priests fighting them. That might appeal to different people than Zombicide Invader, which was like sci-fi kind of like riffing on aliens and that kind of thing which might appeal to a different group than Zombicide uh, Green Horde, which was like kind of more like dungeon crawlers smashing goblins around. And uh, another one that does this <laughs> maybe a little too much is uh, Munchkin or even Monopoly, you know, where yeah. they're like, hey, here, here's Munchkin, but it's Conan the Barbarian. You were like Conan or here's Munchkin, but it's Cthulhu. Cthulhu's fun, right? <laughs> you know, and, uh, it's, it's kind of like a shameless cash grab because they don't even change the game much for most of them. But at the same time, it makes good business sense because you've got the people who are going to buy your series no matter what, right? Like the diehards who are in, they have that completionist, like fear of missing out. They want to get every single release. But then you have the people who never bought Munchkin and hey, but I, I really like, oh, they got Firefly Munchkin. I love Firefly. Okay, I'll finally buy a Munchkin release. So you kind of get the best of both worlds where hopefully your fanboys and like your lo uh, lovers of your game system will still buy into it. But at the same time, you get to bring in some new blood, some fresh uh, buyers who are attracted to kind of like the, the cross promotion you've done by bringing a new uh, theme or a new IP into it. You know, I think that's a really good point. And it's something I never thought of before. And it is another reason to have all your releases be standalone because now if that new theme comes out you're not creating a barrier of entry for new purchasers of your series and one thing i've noticed is like for unlock i buy all the unlocks jerry is buying all the exit games right because he still loves those and he's the one driving that so there has to be somebody that loves it and, and brings them back to the table and maybe everybody in your group likes it but somebody's got to be doing the purchasing right and, and i think the nice part about having a series is let's say that you really do love Cthulhu or whatever, and they finally get to a Cthulhu unlock game. If you buy and play that and you find out that you now like the system and now you're not only a Cthulhu fan, but you're a Cthulhu unlock fan, I think that's going to drive you to buy some of the older ones. Oh, what are some of the other 
older ones that use this same system that I now know that I like that have another theme that I might like. And now you're creating fans, you're creating value for your older products, which doesn't happen in this industry, right? Like, I mean, if a game's six months old and it doesn't have new content, nobody's talking about it anymore, really. I mean, that's an exaggeration, obviously, but for most games, that ends up being their fate. Well, with these series, if you keep getting new fans in because of different themes, I think you can really grab them and then convert them to fans of your series. So I think that's a real strong pro and maybe the best pro for having a series like this. Well, as long as it allows itself to have different themes. Because, yeah, I mean, clearly that's what they did with the Star Wars Unlock, right? I'm sure they're hoping that Star Wars fans will buy it, be like, that was super fun. Wait, there's more, and then buy more of them. (laughs) Sure. And I don't know if it works for something like Love Letter, right? Because Love Letter had a lot of redesigns and a lot of re-themes with that game. But a lot of them were using basically the same system. And if I own one, and I think it's true for Munchkin as well, you know, if you own one, you don't necessarily need to own a bunch of them. But I think it works really well in this escape room genre because every time you play is going to be something different. You know, it's not just a rehash and a retheme. So I do think that there is a caveat to to that, which is if you want fans of your series to keep buying your series, each game has to be different enough to attract people, but similar enough that they if they like the series that they're going to want other games in that series. Well, and that gets into something else, kind of more for the expansion model. And for some thinking of games like Legendary, uh, Marvel Legendary, or Aeon's End. I guess those are both deck builders. (laughs) But the kind of idea of, like, Aeon's End has all these standalone releases. They just had one starting Kickstarter this past week. But they can all be integrated together. And I can take the, like, nemesis from this game and play it uh, with the mage from that game. Or Marvel Legendary, you can take like the uh, decks from this game and mix them with that other game. But I think uh, that does bring up some potential problems that some games avoid better than others do. Like, let's compare for a second Marvel Legendary versus uh, Sentinels of the Multiverse. You know, both of those uh, heavily expanded Marvel Legendary much more, but heavily expanded superhero uh, games with cards, right? In Marvel Legendary, and Steve's talked about this in the past in his episode on uh, Marvel Legendary, Uh, He talked about like kind of the keyword mess up because they would have these new releases and something we haven't talked about yet, but you need to innovate with your series and kind of add stuff on. They have these new releases that have a new keyword, like something cool that you can do with these cards that you could never do before. But they want to avoid the Magic the Gathering problem where you get like 50,000 keywords getting added on as you add on new and new mechanics. And they also don't want you to have to have bought that Marvel Legendary release to be able to purchase this other one. So you get into this thing where they have like three new keywords and they're really cool, but they never use them again. And they move on to entirely new keywords for the next expansion. And they never use those keywords again. They move on to an entirely new mechanic in the next one. And then when you try to integrate, you've got like a billion keywords and it's really hard to keep track of all of them. Whereas um, I think something like uh, Sentinels of the Multiverse or any game where like you have kind of discrete factions you can combine You can say this about Root as well, which also, I mean, gosh, why are these all expansions at the same time? Also has a new expansion on Kickstarter right now. But like I can take a Root faction and drop it into another Root faction or Spirit Island with like the Jagged Earth content. I can take a a Spirit Island faction and drop it in with somebody else, but it integrates seamlessly because the new mechanics are built into the faction. The new mechanics are built into my unique deck of cards. Whereas sure. like deck builders and, and things with like shared decks, you get kind of like this more kind of messy integration of expansions. 
So that's less for the standalone, although some of these are standalone releases, but just something that like innovating and adding more mechanics can also be a negative as your series gets like bigger and further along in its development. But overall, I'd say I like this. I think it's a big pro and I think it's a big pro, especially because you can add people in along the way. I think it's a good way to keep good games alive. I I don't think like if you have a series for a game that's not good, people are just not going to buy it and the series won't continue. So I think it's a self-perpetuating thing too, where the ones that are successful are going to keep being successful. And I think most of them are doing a good job of introducing new themes and, and freshening up. They're not just rehashing what they've done before. So overall, I am a big fan of this because if I want to dive into something, I can, and I can dive in as far or as little as I want to. You know, if I just want to buy one set and treat it as a standalone game, I can do that. Or if I like the game, I want to add more stuff. And I think the the key for me is that it can't change the game so much that it doesn't feel like the same game anymore. I think it can. if, If it's something like Unlock and I bought like a single release and that release was drastically different. I'm okay with that. But if I buy an expansion and that changes the rest of my game to not be the game anymore, <laughs> that would be more frustrating, you know? But how would you feel if you bought an unlock game and they told you to start cutting up the cards? Well, okay, okay, that's true. Yes, okay, good point. Never mind. That's what I mean. I think there are core tenants and unlock's core tenant is it's a deck of cards and maybe there'll be some props and they have introduced props and I'm okay with that. But it's not destructible. You can pass it along to your friends. Like there's some core tenants that all the unlock games have. And that's what I mean by that. I don't mean that they can't stray from the formula at all. And look, some of them do, and you'll have bad games. Look, there's, what was that, the Abyss one or whatever? That was an awful unlock game. Like, that, <laughs> that was the, the least fun I had of probably almost any of these escape room games. I tell people to actively avoid that one mission, which is, I guess, one of the negatives of having three in a box is you can't avoid it if you want to get the other two. Oh, I was going to say it's a positive because that, that would have probably not as been as terrible of an experience if it was just a one kind of negative experience for three set, whereas you bought an entire release and that was all you had, <laughs> you know? Sure. Sure. That's true. Yeah, no, I did end up paying for that. Thanks for reminding me about that. I, I liked it. I, I played through it several times on my own with my son and we had fun. I had to play through it several times just to figure out what was going on because I was so <laughs> confused the entire time. Well, well I mean, you know what? This is funny. This is funny. You, you, everyone listening, you know why Peter could not solve one part of that thing at all? Because Peter doesn't know much about, what is it, Peter? What music. Topic? It was Yes. Uh, Peter doesn't know much. Where does that come up earlier in this podcast episode? It feels so familiar. Music. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, I don't need to know music to know that's a stupid point. <laughs> no, yeah, I didn't know how to read music. And I guess they gave you clues on how to do it. But I mean, you had to start at the bottom and go to the top. or so. I, I don't know. It was something crazy. And I didn't know how to do it. And I had never grown that skill in my life. And they expect you to come in with that. Like, come on. Get out of here with that stuff. Now, now that brings up something I think is very interesting, a negative, a potential negative of a series. And that is you can't, you know, you're you're kind of, I think most of these business models are built on the idea of repeat buyers, right? And like, you're going to buy every unlock release and we're going to hook you. But if you have one dud too many, sometimes one really bad dud is enough. I think though, it's probably two in a row. If you have two duds in a row, I think it's going to be really hard to get people to commit to another release. Well, I think that happened with Time Stories, right? Well, yeah, I was going to say Time Stories. For me, it was the uh, uh, the one based on the Manson murders. Uh, I forget what it was called. 
But that one, for those who don't know, it was a horrific localization, the worst localization, localization meaning like how they translated it into English because Times was, I think, by a French company originally. But the localization, the translation was horrific to the point where we couldn't even understand what the heck was going on. Like it was impeding us solving the mystery because we didn't know what cards were actually saying. We had to like look up on uh, other websites and like retranslate ourselves to figure out what was going on. If that had happened twice in a row, no way would I have ever played a uh, Time Stories again. Now, luckily, the very next one was well translated, uh, although it wasn't great. So I guess that did kind of kick us off Time Stories for a while. But that was like embarrassing, you know, that they did such a terrible job. And you know why I think they did a terrible job, Peter? I guess this is another negative of series. I think it's because they probably have a very strict timeline to yep. crank these out to keep you up on the series which means less development time, less playtesting time, less translating time in this case. So I guess that's kind of two negatives that you can, uh, if people leave the series, they might never come back and that you uh, tend to have to rush into it sometimes. Although again, I think you might be able to hook people back with a good theme again. And then if they like that one that you hooked them back in with, but yeah, I think if your first experience is bad, so maybe I'm a huge fan of 20,000 leagues under the sea. And like that abyss one was my only experience with unlock. I'd be like, oh gosh, I'm never getting any of those. But I think as you pointed out earlier, maybe you find a, a second one and you keep hearing how good unlocks are and you find a second theme that you really like. I think there is a chance to come back later on down the road, but I do think it's a hard sell. I totally agree. All right. Well, I know we've covered this topic way better than I thought we were going to cover it, to be honest. So I'm glad we talked about this today. No, that was fun. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's so we've never designed anything like none of our games are, well, I wouldn't say that we have games we wanted to expand or hope to expand quite extensively, but we never designed something to be like an episodic series like unlock. Certainly not. No. And I mean, we always leave room in our our designs to expand them, but I, I think you can expand a series too far also. And maybe that that's a story for another day, but I definitely think, I mean, Aeon's End reached that point for me after the second one, right? So I think you do sometimes hit a point of saturation. So for example, with Unlocks for me, I hadn't played the Star Wars one, but I still ended up buying the new adventure set. But I think there are some people that are like, oh, well, I still haven't played my last one yet. What do I need the new one for, right? So I think there's potentially that problem as well. It's like, well, I haven't played all my old stuff. Why do I need something new? Yeah, no, I mean, they're definitely hoping for fear of missing out and completionism to lead purchasing decisions. And it does for a lot of us. I mean, it it did for me until I became a reviewer, basically. And now it's like, I... I have way too many games coming to worry that much about getting the next expansion for a game I already have. (laughs) Sure. No, I think we made a lot of good points, though, a lot of good room for discussion. So please, if you want to join in the discussion, join the Discord. You know, I think we do a great job on the Discord continuing the conversation. So we'd love to have you all join us there. New voices are always welcome. Nobody's ever been pushed away. Our community is so good. I think it's because we're all co-op players. And like co-op players tend to like, you know, want to work together, not uh, not destroy or make fun of each other. Not nah, totally. I love all the people over there. And hey, come on the Discord and talk to me about Hulse the Planets. Huh? Interesting, interesting topic. Certainly worthy of being in a review. I don't even know what that means. So I'm going to leave it at that. <laughs> You've already forgotten. All right. Bye, everybody. Have a great week. Oh, you're talking about the music. Oh, my yes. gosh. Oh, gosh. All right. Bye. 
Thanks for joining us again for the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Check out our YouTube channel at One Stop Co-op Shop. Also, join us for games and discussion on our Discord channel. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash one stop or leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks again and we'll see you next week for another top five list. There was a countdown on mine. It was like three, two, one. As if like the second you start recording, you have to like have your content perfect. <laughs> uh, that is funny. <laughs> yeah, you, you seemed like that was funny. <laughs> You're really into that. <laughs> You're like, that is funny. I'm amused. <laughs> and uh, also some of our, uh, and also some of our Patreon tiers let, and some of our Patreon tiers, one of the rewards is that, that <laughs> I haven't said this very often. Hey, Mike. Yeah. You know what I got for Christmas? What? A phone that can play other music besides the music that's on the app. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs>